This week, my guest is Claire Yoza, and we talk about imposter syndrome. In a world increasingly recognising the importance of mental health and well-being, it's equally important to acknowledge this condition that can affect even the most confident and successful people. So, let's grab a coffee and talk to Claire some more about it. Welcome to episode 224 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading or streaming the show. You know, I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. Now, imposter syndrome. I have to admit that I suffer from imposter syndrome. It often strikes before or after a talk at a conference, and it's an irrational fear that someone is going to find you out. Claire is an expert in identifying imposter syndrome and helping people ditch it forever. And it's a great conversation. So let's get straight into that conversation with Claire right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Claire Yosa, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hello, Roger. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure, Claire. Now, before we start, where are we Zooming each other from? Now, I'm in Edinburgh, as always. (laughs) So this week I'm in Sussex in the south of the UK. You say this week. Does that mean that your location switches from week to week? I'm a a week-by-week nomad. I split my time between Sussex and Salisbury, depending on lunar cycles and children's school calendars. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Claire, we're going to talk today about imposter syndrome. And I think it's quite a topical issue at the moment. I hear quite a lot of it in the news. I read quite a lot of articles in periodicals and that sort of thing. You've just written a book, Ditching Uh Imposter Syndrome. So I want to talk to you about that. And, and, And I know that you're also, like me, a yoga teacher. So we've got quite a lot of things in common. Uh, But before we get into imposter syndrome, Claire, give me a little Mm. bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and and basically what makes Claire Yoza tick? What makes me tick is actually finding out how other people tick. And (laughs) um, my original incarnation was as a mechanical engineer. So I have a first class master's degree in mechanical engineering in German from the University of Sheffield and uh, Ruhr Universität Bochum in Germany. And I studied engineering because I wanted to find out how car engines worked. And nobody at school could tell me. So I thought I'd go to Union and find out. I picked a university that didn't do automotive engineering. So that didn't go so well. But I then spent the next 10 years specializing in the automotive industry, in diesel engine manufacturer, and I became a European expert in Six Sigma and lean manufacturing. There came a point, and it was partly imposter syndrome and partly me too, where I realized that that career was not where I wanted to commit myself forever. So I jumped ship. I went traveling okay. in South Africa, South America, in New Zealand, learned Spanish. And I came back and became head of market research at Dyson and set up their market research function, actually being that link between the customers, the marketing team, and the engineering team, because I could translate all three languages. Right. 
Yeah, and that got me back to my childhood teenage passion for psychology. I didn't even know you could study psychology at university when I picked my university course. So I picked it back up as a grown up and really dived in. And I loved the practical psychology. So things like the NLP, neuro linguistic programming. I qualified to be a certified trainer in that. That was back in 2003. And I realized I couldn't make a big enough difference in the world in somebody else's business. So I set up my own business now 16 years ago and specializing in leadership development for corporates. And my very first client had imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that's what it was called. And then my next client and my next client and my next client. And when I was leading workshops and when I was in businesses working with them on their leadership development strategy, the same pattern kept coming up over and over again. And the more I researched it, the more I realized it was this thing called the imposter phenomenon that meant somebody who was outwardly successful and confident was lying awake at three in the morning, ripping themselves to shreds, terrified that somebody would find out that they weren't good enough. And the rest, as they say, is history. I've spent the last 15 or 16 years specializing in this field. So I get to bring my inner engineer's common sense to my inner yoga and meditation teacher's kind of demystified ancient wisdom and combine that with performance psychology and the neuroscience performance to create the stuff I get to do now to help my clients. This is really interesting. And again, you mentioned yoga there. And funnily enough, I've just literally back from teaching my Tuesday Power Yoga class. And and, and as a yoga teacher, I, I can understand the, the 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 meditative part of it that can help mm. calm somebody down. So we can we can have a look at that later. Yeah. But but let let's nail a definition of this thing called imposter syndrome. And, and maybe I can tell mm. you a story and you can tell mm. me whether this was actually imposter syndrome. So this is okay. a couple of years ago now. I had recently done a talk at a conference in Edinburgh. It was all about fighting complexity in marketing. And the speech went incredibly well. I got an amazing feedback. I was really chuffed at the feedback that I got. And I put out a vlog of my experience at the conference. And as a result of that vlog, a conference organizer in Montenegro contacted me and said, we'd love you to come and do that speech at our marketing conference in a few months' time. And of course, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, Montenegro, never been there. That sounds like a really good idea. And I said, yes. And, you know, you sort of forget about these things. And then a couple of months later, I'm sat on this plane, 35,000 feet above the Alps. You know, it was a lovely day. I was looking out of the window. I think I had a, a, a cup of coffee in my hand. And all of a sudden, I had this sinking feeling, and and it wasn't the aircraft starting to descend. It was a genuine sort of roller coaster drop feeling in my tummy. And a little voice was saying in my head, Roger, what the hell do you think you're doing? Sat on this plane, going to a country where English isn't their native language, to talk to marketing people who probably know as much about this stuff as you do, and you're going to be talking to them in a language that isn't their native language. And all of a sudden I thought, oh my goodness, I wish this plane had developed a technical fault and we have to divert to Athens. And and I actually felt for a few moments really quite sick. And I remember grabbing my iPad out, getting the speech back out from the the conference and and going through it. And and, and I sort of of got myself back on track. And 
And of course, I arrived in Montenegro. The organisers were lovely. The hospitality was amazing. And the speech went down incredibly well. And of course, they could all speak English better than I could. Uh, and I came away on another high. But yeah. there was that moment on the plane. So, so was that imposter syndrome? Mm. It definitely sounds like it. So here's how to tell. Firstly, imposter syndrome, it it happens more for somebody who is outwardly confident and successful. Mm-hmm. And it's different to self-doubt. Mm-hmm. So self-doubt is about what you think you can do and your skills and your behaviors and your capabilities. Imposter syndrome goes that level deeper to who am I to be doing this? Mm-hmm. What if they find me out? What if they realize I am not good enough? All of these I am statements, the mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. it's an identity level issue. And I describe it as, so it's also called the imposter phenomenon, mm-hmm. a term called coined by Clarence and Eames back in 1978. But the way I explain it to people, it's the fear of others judging us the way we judge ourselves. Right. Okay. And it is that self judgment. What if they realize I'm not as good as they think I am? What if they realize I don't belong here? When those thoughts are running below the surface, it's highly likely it's imposter syndrome. Whereas somebody's just saying, okay, I need to improve my public speaking skills, then that can be self doubt, which is basic confidence. So imposter syndrome goes below the surface. And what you've described is that physical feeling sick, that lurching, that. It really is a physiological thing when it kicks in. Mm -hmm. It's not just a mind construct. When it goes that deep below the surface, it's highly likely that imposter syndrome is at play. And you got it before your talk. A lot of people get it immediately afterwards. They're on this performance high. They go through their talk. They get to the end and then they start analyzing it going, but I said that and I didn't say that. And now they're going to realize I'm stupid and I don't know enough and I didn't belong on that stage. So it can happen before or after a talk in that situation. Now, that's really interesting because I definitely had those feelings in my head that, are they going to find me out? Not not that I think yeah. that there was anything for them to find out, but that was the feeling. It is are, that. Are there marketing people in the room thinking, why is this British person talking to us in our country about these things? Um, Ironically, though, afterwards, and and maybe it was because the response I got was so positive and and everybody wanted to have a chat. And, you know, even some people wanted to have their photograph taken with me, which which really took me by surprise. (laughs) So so, so maybe I didn't have that after after um, event feeling that you've just described. But I Mm. I definitely did have the pre event feeling. Absolutely. And if it comes up, you know, the fact is you were already on the plane. Mm. So where imposter syndrome can be extremely high risk is if somebody hasn't yet said yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that point where you've been made an offer, say, to go and speak or to do a client pitch, or to take on a project that's outside of what feels like your safe zone. I don't call it a comfort zone because it's not actually very comfortable. Mm. It's outside your safe zone. And you put off replying until it's just too late to say yes, or you convince yourself you're too busy or it's not a good enough fit. So what you're describing is actually generally your confidence is pretty good. You've got your speaker background. You are able to get to the point of being on the plane and that's where it hit. Mm. And I'm, I'm really pleased you've shared the example, Roger, because It's a perfect example of how if these fears are lurking beneath the surface and we don't deal with them and we push on down and we pretend we can't hear them or we just drown them out through general busyness, they will come and bite you on the bottom. And I had an example of this when I published Dare to Dream Bigger Mm. three and a half years ago. And it was the night before this book that was my legacy book 
was due to go to print and it had been edited, it had had beta readers, it had been proofread, typeset a lot. And I convinced myself it was rubbish. Who am I to be writing a book like this? And I deleted the manuscript the night before it went to print. Oh, <laughs> Because those imposter syndrome fears, I'd been so busy, I hadn't paid attention. I had pushed on through that fear. I had pushed them down and convinced myself they didn't matter until at the 11th hour, the bit of me that was scared said, look, really? I mean, no, you're not, <laughs> you're not doing this, Claire. And um, I can laugh about it now. I suspect my children will need therapy when I'm older. And I'm quite lucky that my marriage survived that night. I slept in a tent in the garden because apparently <laughs> I wasn't very nice to be with. <laughs> and by about three o'clock in the morning, I kind of came to and went, oh, it's imposter syndrome. And because I had denied the little fears I was feeling, they had grown to become one huge fear. So I did my stuff. I cleared it out. The next day, I managed to find a backup of a backup of a backup of a backup on a drive somewhere that I hadn't managed to delete the night before. I'd been really thorough. And it went to print and it's had five-star reviews and people love it. And that's great. But all of that pain happened because I hadn't allowed myself to become the person that was going to publish that book. At some level, there was what I call the imposter syndrome gap. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between who you see yourself as being now and who you think you need to be to create or achieve your goal. Do you know, I'd never thought of it in the way that you've just described there. I've always told that story that I've just told you about being on the plane mm. from that point of view that the imposter syndrome made me feel awful on my way to the gig. I'd not thought of it before that imagine I'd had the email from the people in Montenegro and I'd had the imposter syndrome attack then. Yeah. And, and as you say, I might have, oh, I'll leave it in the inbox for a couple of weeks and see yeah. what happens. And then all of a sudden, oh, sorry, Roger, we found somebody else to do it. Ne we'll see you next time. And I would have missed yeah. out on that amazing yeah. experience. So, so th this, can, this can strike people at any time and, and, and can it, actually hinder yeah. them in, in being successful. It absolutely can. And the more severe imposter syndrome is for somebody, the earlier in the process it will make them say no to something their heart is screaming yes to. So if we look at that in a corporate environment, that will be not taking an opportunity to shine in case it leads to a promotion you secretly want, but are also unofficially, even subconsciously scared of. Mm. And, and is, is it this? Is it a fear? Is imposter syndrome just another manifestation of fear, or is, is that, it more than yeah. that? It's an identity level fear right. because when you talk to somebody. So when I did the 2019 imposter syndrome research study, I did 50 depth interviews and I did a 2,000 person study, research survey. Mm -hmm. And in the depth interviews, when you talk to somebody about, okay, so what would happen if you didn't? have imposter syndrome anymore, they actually talk about quite existential stuff. Mm. It is the world would fall apart, their life would fall apart. Well, then they'd realize I was a fraud and I would lose my job and then my partner would leave me and my kids would grow up in care and I would lose my home and I'd be in a gutter. <laughs> Logically, we know that that's not likely to happen, but there's a bit of your subconscious that is there to protect you. It's the bit that gives you that sixth sense when you're not paying attention and you're about to cross the road that there's a car coming and pulls you back. Yeah? yeah, that same bit is at play with imposter syndrome, wanting to keep you safe. And it doesn't care whether the perceived threat is an actual saber-toothed tiger at the office door 
or in your head. Mm. It will fire off the same fear hormones that fire off the emotions that get us stuck in that negative thinking cycle that keep us trapped, dreaming big, but playing small. Wow. It, 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 talking to you really does bring this home. Yeah. And, and it really makes me realize how this can affect people. And, and, and having, having talked to you, even for this just brief time, I can identify this not only in myself, but in, mm. in people that I know. Absolutely. And the classic things that people do. So for example, in the research study, I asked people who said they struggle with imposter syndrome, which of these have you done in the last year? So these are actions they've actually taken, not hypothetical actions. So 56% not owning my expertise or taking credit for my successes, turning down opportunities I secretly wanted, 25%, feeling anxious and worrying, 72%, not applying for promotions I knew that I was capable of, 45%. And this is in the last year alone. So listening to this episode, it's worth it just having a look around the office or the train or wherever you are. Because one of the huge things that keeps us stuck with imposter syndrome is thinking it's only us. Mm, it's just mm. me that's lying awake at 3 a.m. thinking these things, feeling these fears. It's really not. The study found that 52% of female respondents and 49% of male respondents have struggled with imposter syndrome daily or regularly in the past 12 months. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it's a biggie. It, it's massive. And and again, we said before, we're seeing this in the news. I think you mentioned just before yeah. we hit record before that a recent study has said that the, the, the gender pay gap has widened when it yes. should be getting, when, when it shouldn't be widening at all. It should be coming closer together. But one of the exactly. reasons for that could be imposter syndrome amongst women. Yeah, absolutely is. The Office for National Statistics just published its annual results. And in leadership positions, the gender pay gap for women has actually increased in the past 12 months, despite the work that's going in. Mm. One of the things we found in the imposter syndrome research study, which we weren't even really looking for, is that there are three core drivers in the gender pay gap, none of which are being addressed by businesses. And they are the culture mm-hmm. at the most senior levels, which tends to turn a bit more alpha male. Mm-hmm. The second one is lack of flexible working and the fact that when you step up to those leadership roles, it's longer hours, more travel, and women tend to feel more responsible for childcare mm-hmm. and to feel that mama guilt about, but I really want to get to the sports match and the concert rather than being in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Yeah. And the third factor that came up loud and clear in the gender pay gap is imposter syndrome. And we've now got the data to explain why is how women are not putting themselves forward for the promotions. They actually rather apply externally Mm. than go for an internal company promotion for fear of being found out as having failed. And men and women handle it very differently. So the incidence rates are very similar. Men are more likely to push on through to feel that fear, pretend it's not there and go for the promotions and exposure anyway, which also meant that men were five times more likely than women to turn to alcohol and medication to handle the anxiety (laughs) and stress that creates. Okay. So pushing on through is not my top advice on this. (laughs) Funnily enough, when I was on that plane, that what I really wanted when I had that sinking feeling in my tummy is I wanted a glass of wine. Fortunately, Montenegro Airlines is a dry airline, so there was no alcohol to be bought. So I I had to make do with the cup of coffee that I had. (laughs) 
Well, exactly. So if you can imagine somebody who's in the C-suite, somebody who's at that director, partner, CEO type level, who is pushing it down, who's pretending to the outside world they feel okay, but they've got this 3 a.m. self-talk running. In order to release the stress, anxiety, and fear that they're living with, they are going to be turning to something. And it's not always going to be yoga, is it, Roger? No, no, no. absolutely not. So with women, if you get women talking to each other, they were 20 times more likely than men to talk to a female friend or loved one mm-hmm. about how they were feeling. But most of them were still bottling it up. If you can get this conversation out in the open and start having imposter syndrome being something that's no longer taboo, so asking for help with it is as okay as asking for training on, say, Microsoft Office, Mm. then you can clear it really quickly. It does take more specialist intervention. The classic mindset, positive thinking, confidence work doesn't actually get to those root causes because it's at the identity level. But I know from my 15 years that in as little as a month, two months, you can create breakthroughs for somebody that transform their performance, that mean they get to step up to that next level of leadership. The business benefits from their expertise and their experience. Their team is happier and it's a massive win-win and we close the gender pay gap. It's interesting that mental health and well-being is a massive topic at the moment. Yeah. And, and I'm involved in a, in a, in a couple of big conferences in the financial services industry and this year one of the big topics was mental health and well-being but the focus there tends to be on 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 depression or or stress and that sort of thing should we be lumping imposter syndrome in with the general topic of mental health Uh, it definitely triggers mental health issues Mm. and it triggers depression the Mm -hmm. research study shows that really quite clearly because if you're lying awake at three in the morning thinking you're the only person in the world feeling this bad and feeling this incompetent and you have no way of recalibrating that during the working day yes it definitely can lead to anxiety depression mental health and the research showed tragically imposter syndrome is also a factor in some ceo level male suicides so we need to be addressing it but what i'm finding when i work with companies is often well-being is delegated to a member of the hr team yes who usually isn't very senior And doesn't actually have the authority to say this is actually a multidisciplinary thing. It's not just mental health and well-being. It's about performance. It's about leadership development. It's about how we are managing and leading. It's about our most senior level corporate culture. It's about flexibility in working hours because, you know, one of the major trigger points for imposter syndrome is a woman coming back from maternity leave, for example, Mm -hmm. already thinking, I'm a year behind and now I've got a child or multiple children and everybody else has moved on with their career. Who am I to take back my old role? And by the way, I either can't afford the childcare or I don't want my kids in childcare till 10 o'clock at night so I can go to client socializing. And they end up taking more junior roles in order to be able to come back into the workplace, but have that sense of balance and confidence. So it's so much more than well-being, but if we don't handle it, then you do end up with somebody going off long-term sick or the classic response for a woman is, I'm going to go freelance. Right. Yeah. Is jumping out of the corporate world completely. So what do we do about this, Claire? I mean, it, it's, it sounds like it's quite hard to identify 
or or, or at least get people to admit that it's happening to them. But if but, yeah. but, but it, imagine it's me. I, I, I had that episode on the plane, and and, and let me tell you, I got hmm. my book back from my editor last week. Um, the book that I've been writing on keeping marketing simple, and yeah. I, I'm delighted by what I've got back. The editing hmm. has been great. The flow is much better than it was before it went away but i have had that wobble thinking oh i'll just yeah. leave, i'll just leave it in my inbox now and uh, <laughs> it'll get it it'll get published when it gets published you know <laughs> i'm not that bothered about it i don't really need to get it out there do i and that's that's imposter syndrome again isn't it it, it is it's it, and it's that fear of well what if they realize i'm not good enough so i'm with you roger i've also written two novels in addition to my non-fiction books and when my second novel came back from the editor she obviously decided i was more confident than i was and she ripped it to shreds right okay um and she had 32 pages of notes and i didn't touch that book for 3 months and after 3 <laughs> months she eventually came back to me and went Claire, why is your book not out yet? And I'm like, because you ripped it to shreds. She's like, yeah, but it was bleeping brilliant. Uh, okay, but but your feedback didn't say that. Oh, she said, I thought you knew that. Uh, okay, so yeah, it, you know, it can really knock us for six. And then we convince ourselves, as you've just described, that there's no rush, there's no deadline. It doesn't matter if it doesn't come out in 2019. So one of the things in companies is they think somebody's going to come to them if they've got a problem with imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. but everybody thinks it's just them. Most people don't realize there's anything they can do because there are so many articles and well-intentioned advice columns out there saying you've just got to put up with it and cope and push on through. A high-performing employee is not going to show up to their manager at their annual performance review and say, hey, boss, you think I'm great? I've got imposter syndrome. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So what I encourage companies to do first is to actually train managers in how to spot the warning signs. I've got them now evidenced from the research study, but there are clear behaviors you can watch for that means it's worth taking somebody to one side and saying, look, there's this thing called imposter syndrome and this behavior often comes up when someone's got it. Do we need to talk? Mm. Yeah. So spot it early and proactively. And then have a clear support process in place, whether that is suitably qualified in-house coaches, whether it's sending somebody externally for mentoring, whether it's a training course. But often the biggest initial breakthrough comes by removing the taboo. Mm. So if I go in to talk to a company and we actually have an awareness session on imposter syndrome and I can give them the facts rather than the myths and the rumors, the first thing that happens is you see this wave of relief spread through the room. Then you see everybody nodding their heads like they're going to drop off. And then you can start giving them techniques at what I call the emergency quick fix level. So, you know, you don't have time for the navel gazing. You're sitting on a plane on the way to Montenegro. There is no wine. I need to deal with this. There are things you can do in 60 seconds to press pause before Mm -hmm. you self-sabotage. Then you can do the deeper work that clears out the triggers that mean that means it doesn't have to be an issue for your talk ever again, Mm. but you need to work with it at those two levels is the, I'm hiding in the lose because the client's just arriving. And I know if I mess up this pitch, everybody's going to find me out. And the right now it's time to actually clear this out. I'm fed up with coping with it. It doesn't have to be that way. I know that there's a process I can use to be free from this forever. And I'm making the commitment. I'm actually going to see this through. Now, I'm suspecting that all of these techniques, both the 
quick fix and the deeper dive are covered in your book. It would be cruel if they weren't. (laughs) Ditching imposter syndrome. And and what I don't want you to do is to is to give everything away in this podcast so that nobody wants to read your book. But perhaps perhaps you could give us the 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 quick fix one. uh, And and hopefully that'll serve as a teaser for everybody to pick up your book and read the, the deep dive fixes. Definitely. Well, very briefly, it's a five-step process that I've spent the last 15 years creating, testing, refining with my clients and on myself. And the first step is really connecting with the possibility that you can clear imposter syndrome because so many of us have been trained to believe it's something we've got to put up with. So it's clearing out the myths. You know, I can't ditch imposter syndrome because... Unless you clear that out, you're trying to create a change that your unconscious mind thinks is impossible. And guess what? It's going to stop you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Step two is taming your inner critic. So that negative self-talk is learning how to press pause and start to turn that around because then you're rewiring your brain so that your inner critic can start to become a cheerleader. Below that, it's clearing out the hidden blocks and fears and excuses. So Step three. Step four is where we actually clear out imposter syndrome at the identity level, which sounds scary, but actually it can be really good fun. And step five is where you then move forward to step up to become the leader you are actually born to be. So that is the five-step process. Mm -hmm. My favorite quick fix technique, I use this all the time, and I don't really have imposter syndrome anymore. If it comes up, what I notice is there'll be a thought And my brain goes, oh, that's an imposter syndrome thought. Do I actually want to dive into that? No. Okay. What do I need to do? So it's irrelevant. I go and do what you said, for example, is, you know, you might review the presentation. Is this good enough? Yes. Great. Okay. Let that go. So my ABC technique is what I use in those situations. Accept, breathe, choose. (laughs) So anybody can remember this. Yeah. Even if you're super stressed, accept. I have just had an imposter syndrome thought. If you try and fight with it and push it away, you're giving it all of your focus. You're reinforcing those neural pathways in your brain so they become a new autopilot. If you just accept it, yeah, this is where the meditation and yoga comes in. It's just, oh, that was an imposter syndrome thought. And then you breathe. So this is resetting the nervous system because that thought triggered the fight, flight, freeze, stress response, the sympathetic nervous system. The breathing, I love to do a sighing breath, the breathing in through the nose. (sighs) Just feels so lovely, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) Breathing out with a sigh. So you do three of those, and then you just let your breathing rest in the belly area for about a minute. So just gentle, mindful breathing, focusing on the physical movements in your body as you breathe. This rebalances the entire nervous system. That calms your thoughts it calms your emotions. And it helps to mean you don't get stuck in that negative thinking spiral where the hormonal reactions that kick off from the thought trigger the emotions that keep the thought running. So you're pressing pause there with that B for breathing. And C is choose to think of a recent win, a micro win, I call them with my clients. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be big. One specific micro win that you were responsible for, something you did that went well, in recent times, and there will be something, (laughs) okay? And if you wanna stretch, it's actually three micro wins. So really focus on, okay, this went really well, and this went really well, and I did a good job of that because the more specific you can be, the more it cuts through the filters in the brain, 
And it starts to bring those biochemical reactions back up to kind of the endorphins and the, the happy hormones. So it turns around what could have been a multi-day descent into imposter syndrome back into something that feels neutral and then positive in under 60 seconds. What I've been doing so far is the B bit. And that's probably because <laughs> of that's probably because of my yoga background. So when I have yeah. the attack and I, and, that, and this happened on the plane before I got the iPad out, I guess the yoga yeah. the yogic breathing, you know, 711 yeah. breathing, breathing for mm -hmm. 7, out for 11, do that a yeah. few times, calm down a bit. So now I know that there's an A and a C to go with the B. That I think is. I think I can I can nail it the next time for definite. Uh, absolutely, because <laughs> you see, if you don't do the A, then what happens is you've got your lovely yogic breathing, but you're constantly re-triggering the stress stimulus. Yeah. Okay, because you're constantly fighting or feeding that mind story drama about I'm not good enough. What if they find me out? So if you just do the accept and say, okay, it's a thought. I'm parking you. Now I'm going to breathe. So you reset because when the parasympathetic nervous system, the relaxation response is balanced, it means we're relaxed but alert and we have different thoughts and they're more, they're more supportive and they're slower. And it's easier to press pause on a slow thought than a steaming train. Mm -hmm. And then that C is about consciously turning it around. And what you're doing is creating a neural pathway that then goes from imposter syndrome stimulus through calm into something you're doing well. So it's part of actually rewiring your neurology to turn that inner critic into a virtual cheerleader. Claire, we could probably carry on talking for a very long time this afternoon, and we haven't even really delved into yoga at all, um, but I'm conscious of time. And I'd like to finish off with one big question then and a couple of fun mm. questions at the end. Okay. What would you say was the one big thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from, from the experience you've had over the last 15 years dealing with imposter syndrome, working with your clients, and, of course, writing this book about the subject. You are good enough. You really are. You absolutely really are. And you, if you're doing something you're enjoying, you're going to be making sure that you've got the experience and the qualifications and the training to do it well. So... It's time to let go of judging yourself because nobody else is judging you as harshly as you're judging yourself. And it doesn't need to be that way. You are good enough. And each and every day you can allow yourself to believe in yourself just a tiny bit more and imagine how different life will feel in a year's time. It's about time to let go of judging yourself. That's yeah. great. That's that's absolutely great. Claire, it's been really interesting talking to you this afternoon. I, I guess the, the connection we have from our yoga background, plus the fact that I've identified that this imposter syndrome thing happens to me, has made this a, an incredible conversation this afternoon. So thank you for coming on the show. I always thank finish so off much, I always finish off with a couple of marketing questions and th this is this this can be as as fun as you want to make it it's yeah. it's just to looking at at marketing that works and marketing that doesn't and and you know me my background is I I am obsessed yeah. with keeping things simple I don't like complexity I don't like annoying marketing so two questions First of all, give me an example of a marketing campaign, or it could be a product that's caught your attention for being beautifully simple. Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. Well, I have an addiction to fountain pens. <laughs> <laughs> so all of my books get written first in fountain pen on paper. And 
I bought yesterday, bought myself a new fountain pen because my kids keep nicking mine. And my favorite fountain pen is actually the Lamy Clear fountain pen right. because I get to see how it works. And it really, my inner engineer just thinks it's so cool to see how the ink goes through the various bits of the pen onto the paper for me to be able to create. And because I can see how it's working, I can get really excited about gratitude to whoever it is that came up with the idea and who made the parts and who made the machines to make the cartridge and even to put the lid on. You know, it's just it's so complex and something we take for granted. So for me, I love marketing that helps me see how something will work. That then delivers that benefit for me in a way that works every time. I've never, ever had a Lamy fountain pen leak ink all over my fingers just before I'm about to do a live stream, for example. <laughs> Jenny, I've never thought of it like that. I've never had a fountain pen geek on the on the um, call before. Um, but, you know, fountain pens don't screw up as often as Zoom and Skype, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and at the other end of the scale, Claire, at the other end of the scale, give us an example of marketing madness, something stupidly complex or needlessly bloated. Okay. So this weekend, I wasn't supposed to be working and my subscription to one of my major pieces of software that shall remain nameless had run out and I tried to renew it and I renewed it. And then I discovered they deleted my account without telling me. Oh. And then I had to go back from the beginning and reinstall the software. It took me three and a half hours. And all I needed to do was five minutes work, but I was paralyzed because that license had expired. And despite me then paying the fee, three and a half hours going round in circles to actually get it to work again. So that's something that really didn't work for me because marketing isn't just about the message for your product. It's making sure the product then delivers what you promised. And ah. Saturday morning, it most definitely didn't for me. That was, I don't normally drink coffee. That took coffee. <laughs> no, that, that, that's, that fits with everything, I believe. I mean, marketing today, unfortunately, a lot of people do see that marketing is just message, 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 when of course mm. it's product. It's how the customer yeah. feels. It's the customer experience. It's all of that. And, and companies exactly. really need to remember so, Claire, before we sign off, I'm hoping that people listening to the show might want to get in touch with you to talk about how they can, how you can perhaps help them with imposter syndrome or at least buy the book. So how can people connect with you either on social media, your website, or, or just name drop the book and how people can buy it? Okay. The book is on Amazon and via your local bookshop book if you want to order it in. It's Ditching Imposter Syndrome, and it already has readers in 21 countries and counting, which I'm blown away by. Thank you if you're already one of them. And to connect with me, LinkedIn is the best place. I'm Claire Yosa. That's C-L-A-R-E-J-O-S-A. -E There's only one of me. And my website is claireyosa.com. And if imposter syndrome is a thing for you, I have an entire separate website for that called ditchingimpostorsyndrome.com, where there are tools, tips, techniques, and resources to help you set yourself free so you can finally feel good enough and make the difference you're really, really here to make in the world. Fantastic. Claire, as I said before, this has been an incredible conversation. I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. Thanks for coming on the Marketing and Finance podcast. And I think I'll see you in a couple of weeks time in London. I look forward to that, Roger. Thank you so much for being such a lovely host today. It's been great to chat with you. And I hope that everyone listening has found this useful. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. 
do, please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.